Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I want us to look again at the song of praise of Zacharias as he sings to the Lord at the birth of his newborn son called John. So we will begin looking at verse 67 and we will read through verse 80. Let's stand together in honor of God's word. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the ways of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Those whom God sends out to minister, he calls, he equips, he prepares for that ministry. Preparation can take many forms. For me, it began at birth. When just after my birth, my father and my mother dedicated me to the Lord's service. I had no idea until I graduated from college that that was the case. My mother revealed that information to me on the day of graduation. I was raised in church and I was also raised at the family altar at home. At age six, I was saved and baptized. At age 16, while a sophomore in high school, God called me to vocational ministry under Uh, George Finley, who was pastor of the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Dos Palos. 
at age 17, I surrendered to that call. It took me an entire year to come to grips with that. I certainly wrestled with God over that. Wasn't really willing to uh, go the route of being a minister, a pastor, uh, a teacher, but um, you don't wrestle with God and win. Uh, I learned that in my own experience. And so at age 17, a year later, I surrendered to the call of ministry. At age 30, I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ and reaffirmed his call to ministry in my life. A number of individuals have been instrumental in my preparation for ministry. As I mentioned, Pastor George Finley, under whose ministry I surrendered to the call. But there was also uh, individuals in my academic training, Cecil Hyatt, uh, one of the individuals that stands out uh, above a lot of the others, my Old Testament professor in college. Uh, He was not only my teacher, but he was also a close friend and a mentor and also a fellow servant as uh, Nancy and I would go with him on uh, revival campaigns. He would preach, Nancy would play the piano, I would lead in music. Uh, He was at that time old enough to be my grandfather, but he was a great preacher and a great servant of the Lord. There was also George and Francis Jennings, also teachers in college, Uh, Dr. George Jennings was my Greek professor. His wife, Frances Jennings, was my religious education director. Both of them godly people. Both of them sold out to the Lord, uh, having served on the mission field in Spain under the dictatorship of Franco and was imprisoned for sharing the gospel of Christ in that country, but had come back to the United States to teach and to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the training uh, of ministers in the gospel of Christ, I will forever be indebted to them. Then there was Craig Skinner, professor of preaching at Golden Gate Seminary, where I attended. He has visited in our church a couple of times many years ago before retiring and returning to his native Australia. A great teacher in uh, sermon preparation uh, gave me great insights on what it means to really preach uh, the word without uh, becoming stuffy and stodgy. Um, A great country type preacher, but a very uh, highly intellectual man as well. Also in seminary, Bob Kate my Old Testament professor and uh, teacher in Hebrew. Bob Kate was one of those unique individuals who was uh, highly academic uh, in his training and yet had pastored uh, the First Baptist Church in Aiken, South Carolina for uh, 10 years before uh, coming to the seminary to teach and was also a close friend of mine and and mentor, teaching me uh, things about the pastorate uh, and how to integrate 
academic learning with uh, everyday living on the church field, uh, a great individual with insights on uh, a number of different ways in which we take the Word of God, particularly the Old Testament, and make it applicable to where we are today as a New Testament church. There was also Dr. Don Jackson, who was for many years pastor uh, to Karen and to Nancy in Dos Palos, was our director of missions for quite a number of years before he retired, and over the years has been a great friend uh, as well as minister to me and mentor to me uh, as we worked here in the association with churches up and down the valley. Then there is my wife, Nancy, uh, who has... Uh, stuck with me and uh, stayed by me for 47 years uh, in ministry, uh, has uh, been my rock uh, in ministry, a counselor in ministry, has given me valuable insights uh, into um, who I truly am and, and uh, how God has been working in my life and, and how she sees God leading the churches where we have been and the ministries that we have conducted. And I mention these names because they've been important to me over the course of my life, over the course of my preparation for ministry, and I thank God for each and every one of them and for the impact that they've had in my life. But always, throughout the preparation, throughout the places where I've been, throughout the positions that I've held, and throughout the individuals that have come into my life, it's been the Holy Spirit of God and the study of God's Word that has prepared me to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel ministry. For 49 years, I've tried to honor the call of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life, believing, thoroughly believing that he has called me, equipped me, prepared me, and then sent me out to preach and to teach his gospel to whomever may come to hear. I have no regrets. He has been faithful to honor his call in my life as I have tried to be faithful in honoring his call in my life. To those whom God sends out to share his word, he calls them, he sets them aside, he equips them, he prepares them, and then he sends them out to do his work. That short little resume of the last 47 years in my life are a little bit longer than the resume we have here of John the baptizer. Only one sentence, only one verse does Dr. Luke give us with regard to the calling and the preparation of John the baptizer. It's found there in verse 80. Note it again. The child grew. He became strong in spirit as was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel. And that's all we have about John the baptizer. He grew up physically. He matured spiritually. And he lived out in the wilderness of Judea until the day he appeared uh, 
at the Jordan River preaching a sermon of repentance of sin and baptism in preparation for the kingdom of God. Now I'll have you note in a few verses before in the song of praise, in the Benedictus, John's father Zacharias said that his son would prepare Israel for the coming Messiah. His words echo the prophecy of Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets of the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, God says through the prophet Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And that word was given over 400 years before that prophecy came true in John the baptizer. But in the course of his ministry, Jesus himself reaffirmed these words of Malachi, reaffirmed these words of Zacharias. In Luke chapter 7, verses 24 to 28, Jesus said, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you that among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. On three separate occasions, we have been given the significance, the importance, and the necessity of a man like John the Baptizer. It is a threefold affirmation upon this one individual that God has set aside to do the work of the Lord in preparing God's people for the coming Messiah. Now the Bible doesn't tell us anything about the early years of John's life. Some of what we think is supplied by Jewish historians and by tradition, but we don't really know for sure about those 30 years between the song of Zacharias and the time John appears preaching the good news of the coming Christ. And the reason I believe that we don't have that information is because it doesn't really matter. What does matter is that the hand of God was upon John and John was completely surrendered to that hand of God that rested upon him. And that's all that is necessary for any servant of God to note in his own life. God has spoken to him, and he has responded to the voice of God. 
But there are three things here in this verse that I simply want to draw our attention to very briefly. First of all, John grew from infancy into manhood. And, you know, that's pretty much a no-brainer, right? The Bible tells us that he was a man when he was down at the Jordan River and Jesus came to be baptized by him. The Gospels tell us that John lived to be about 33 or 34 years old and then he died in prison at the hand of King Herod Antipas. But other aspects of his early life remain a mystery. And we all have questions about it. I've had questions about it. And believe me, I've spent years studying, trying to find some of those answers, but the answers are not there because it's not necessary for us to know those answers. One of the questions that I've had, how old was John the Baptist when his parents died? We know from uh, the voice of the angel Gabriel, and we know from the response of Zacharias that he and Elizabeth were very old when she conceived and she bore the son that would be called John. But after these very brief remarks, we hear nothing of Zacharias and Elizabeth anymore in Scripture. And the assumption is that they died when John was very young. Even the word here that's used in verse 80, the child grew and became strong in spirit. The word child means a young boy. But that doesn't tell us that his parents were already gone. It just simply tells us that as an infant, he grew through his adolescent years. And he grew through his teenage years. And he grew through his young adulthood until the time he appeared at the Jordan River. Some believe that John was just a few years old when his parents died. And with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, some scholars believe that John was raised by the Essenes in the community at Qumran, there at the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. This group of religious separatists were known to take in orphaned boys and to train them in their monastic religious ways. The Essenes were very strict in their religious disciplines and they sought to isolate themselves from the mainstream of Judaism because they believed that the Jewish religion had become apostate and they did not want their faith to be infected by the corruption of Judaism. But we don't know that that was the case that John became a ward of the Essenes in the community at Qumran. Others believe that since John came from a priestly family, Zacharias was from a priestly family, Elizabeth was from a priestly family, and so John the Baptist is a descendant of the priestly line of the Levites. 
And since he was from a priestly family, there are those who believe that he was raised by the Jewish priests, much like Eli raised Samuel in the Old Testament. But again, I don't know that that's true, and Scripture doesn't really say. I doubt, really, that either was the case with John the Baptist because his attitudes and his theology differ greatly from the Essene community as well as from the priesthood of his day. I believe, and I can't prove this, but I believe that John was old enough when his parents died, he was old enough to be on his own. Probably a young teenager. And then he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness of Judea to be raised and to be trained by the Holy Spirit himself. I don't know that for a fact, and I can't prove that for a fact. But I find this to be true with a lot of men God has set aside to be his spokesman in the culture, in the day in which they lived. Second, John became strong in spirit. These words simply mean that John grew to spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity exceeded the spiritual maturity of most of the people of his day, including the priests. Paul the Apostle, who also spent some time with the Lord in the wilderness, wrote to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, and he said this to the Ephesian people. He prayed that they would be strengthened with might through his Holy Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was not Paul's attitude before he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. The emphasis of his life was to serve the Sanhedrin by finding where those Christians were hiding out, arresting them, bringing them to trial, condemning them, and then executing them because this Christianity was seen as a heretical sect of Judaism. And the Sanhedrin wanted that heretical sect stamped out. Paul became one of their great tools in which that extermination of the Christian church would be used. But then he met Jesus. And after having met Jesus, he was for a few moments, a few days if you will, tutored or discipled by a great man, a great Christian in Damascus. 
And then he went out into the wilderness, the desert of Arabia. And there he would spend three years alone with God. And the Lord would take all that the Apostle Paul had learned, all that, well, he was Saul at that time, all that Saul had learned, all the training that he had gone through, and the Lord would rework all of that in his life and bring him then to the place where he, like John the baptizer, would go out and preach the gospel of Jesus to a hungry and spiritually dying world. To be strong in spirit is to be mature in moral character. Moral character is much more than just knowing right from wrong. Moral character is the ability to discover and to discern and to be disciplined by the principles of God's moral law. Moral character is that quality in the Christian who reads the moral law of God, which is still applicable to us today. The Ten Commandments, that you'll have no other gods before me, that you'll not bow down to images, that you'll not use the name of the Lord in vain, that you will honor the Lord's day, that you will not lie, steal, cheat, or rob other individuals. Uh, the Christian who honors the moral law of God, and there are many other uh, principles uh, to the moral law of God, uh, does not only acknowledge these things, but honors these things in his life. They don't pass these things off as saying, well, you know, I, uh, you know I, I can go ahead and do this, or maybe I've already done this, but that's okay, because you see I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, and so it doesn't matter if I honor the commandments of God or not. That is not a person of moral character. That's not what it means to be spiritually mature. To use the weakness of the human flesh as an excuse to disobey God. That is not what a mature Christian thinks, believes, or does. Moral character is the strengthening of one's will to be what God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do without compromise, without concession, and with full, wholehearted conviction. Those who are spiritually mature will stand before others and call them to repentance of sin and to prepare themselves for the coming of Jesus Christ, just like John the Baptist did. He stood before the population and he demanded that they repent of sin and submit to baptism in preparation for the coming kingdom of God. And every true sold-out believer in Jesus Christ, every true spiritually mature Christian will not be afraid to stand before another individual and tell them that there is a controversy between them and God. And that unless that controversy is addressed, unless that disobedience is addressed and acknowledged, unless there is repentance in the heart of the person and a turning back to God, that, sin, that individual who stands condemned already 
will have that final sentence passed upon them and be separated from the Lord forever in hell. Those who are led by the Spirit will challenge the apostate religions of their day with the truth of God's Word. John lived in a day when Judaism was apostate. They no longer believed in God. They believed in the law of Moses. They no longer served God. They served the law of Moses. They no longer devoted themselves to the Lord God. They devoted themselves to their religion. And their religion had become apostate. And beloved, we're living in a day when uh, Christianity is becoming increasingly apostate in our country. People call themselves Christians who don't even believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. They don't believe in the efficacious death of Christ upon the cross. They don't believe that Jesus was raised physically from the dead. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. They don't believe in heaven and they don't believe in hell. They're like the Sadducees. They don't believe in the miracles of God. They don't believe in eternity with God. They don't believe in God. And it is our responsibility, dear friends, in the world that we're living in today, to stand upon the truth of the Scriptures and to speak to those who have gone astray, who've gone the way of the world, who've gone the way of apostate religions. It's our responsibility to direct them back to the truth of God's Word. And I know many will not listen. And I know that many will not respond positively to that, but it is nonetheless our responsibility to honor the truth of God in our lives and to speak the truth of God into the lives of others. No matter what religion they're of, no matter what shingle they hang over the front door of their building they call a church, I'm, I'm delighted, dear friends, when people come knocking on my door and, and they want to talk to me about this, that, or the other according to their religion. It gives me an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Do you believe that the end times are near? Do you believe that God will call the 12 tribes of Israel back into the fold? Do you believe that there is coming an antichrist? Do you believe this, that, and the other? I don't know what you believe, dear friends, but let's talk about Jesus for a while. They don't come to my door anymore. (laughs) But John stood before an apostate clergy. And as they came to see the spectacle of people submitting to John's baptism in the Jordan River, he called them out. He wasn't satisfied just to let them sit there and watch as his ministry was being conducted. He called them out. And he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the judgment that is coming? You need to bring forth fruit of repentance. And there are many individuals, male and female, who stand behind the sacred desk, dear friends, 
who have no relationship to God at all, let alone a relationship with His Word. And in their apostasy, they're leading their congregations down the path of condemnation as well. Those who are led by the Spirit will challenge the apostate religion of the day. And those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God will confront those in authority, will denounce their worldly and corrupt ways and call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. John was not afraid to stand before King Herod Antipas and tell him that as king over God's people, he was living in sin because he married his brother's ex-wife. Paul the Apostle was not afraid to stand before Festus and Felix and then the emperor and tell them about Jesus Christ and their need to repent of sin and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nor should it be an odd thing for any of us should that time come, and I believe that time is coming, when we will stand before magistrates, when we will stand before people in authority, and we will be called to give a confession of our faith upon pain of imprisonment or uh, some other type of persecution. And the question is, will you be led by the Spirit of God to open your mouth and declare Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only is Lord? That day is coming in this country. Finally, John lived in the wilderness until it was time for him to stand before the Messiah and inaugurate the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was out in the wilderness. We don't know what all took place out there. We don't need to know what all took place out there. But we know that he was on, under the hand of God and we know that he was led by the Spirit of God and God took care of him out there. And that's all that is necessary for us to know. Why? Because that's what God has promised to do to each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what may rise up in your life, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the hand of God is upon you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And just as he did with John to protect and to provide for him, he will do the same. That's his promise to you and to me. Jesus tells us, why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink or what clothes are you going to wear? God takes care of the birds of the air. God takes care of the flowers of the field. And he loves you more than he loves them. He'll take care of you as well. Why do we need to worry about those things? Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you, Jesus said. But John was out in the wilderness for 30 years, which means he lived a separated life. A separated life. Uninfluenced by the corrupt priesthood. Unattached from the spirit spiritually prideful Essene separatists, unaffected by the worldly 
Jewish culture of his day. He was separated from them, but he was not isolated from them. There was a time when God said, your training is over, and it's time for you to go out and do the work that I've called you to do. And John came out of the wilderness. No holds barred. Both barrels loaded. And boldly, unabashedly, unashamedly declared the sinfulness of the people and the coming of the King of Kings. He spent his life under the guidance and the protection and the provision of the Holy Spirit where he began to understand fully his mission as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I submit to you, friends, if you're concerned about the ministry that God has called you to do or the lack thereof, it's probably because you haven't spent time, you haven't spent time with the Lord in the wilderness. Now that doesn't mean you have to go down into Death Valley. It doesn't mean you have to go to some isolated place in the hills. It may mean that, yes, but it, not necessarily so. But dear friends, we, we spend, in comparison to the time that we spend with friends, the time that we spend reading the newspaper and magazines, the time that we spend watching TV, we spend precious little time in the presence of God. It is no wonder that Christians don't fully understand or are fully empowered to do the work that God has called them to do because they just simply don't spend time with Him in the wilderness. They don't spend time with Him. But John fully understood his mission as the forerunner of Christ. He was trained by God's Spirit to be a powerful and a dynamic and a stalwart prophet who took on the worldly and corrupt leaders and apostate Judaism like his predecessor Elijah. I want you to turn with me to one more passage of Scripture and then I'll close. Back to Isaiah in the Old Testament. If you do not have an appreciation for the Old Testament then you haven't been listening much over the last 30 some odd years. Isaiah 40. 750 years before John was born, before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah spoke these words. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. God says through the prophet Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He says, comfort my people. We need such wilderness experiences in our life. We don't necessarily want to be there. 
But we need them so God can prepare us for the Christian life and ministry that he's called us to. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we are strengthened in spirit. We are encouraged in faith. We are taught how to trust in and to depend upon the Lord and how to deal with adversity and with opposition. Wilderness experiences with the Holy Spirit mold and shape our Christian character. It tests our mettle. It sharpens our focus and it prepares us to serve. Isaiah said that John the baptizer would come to comfort God's people. The word comfort does not mean to console people in their sin. It doesn't mean to appease people for their sin. It means to change their minds about their sin. Israel was going to go into exile for disobedience toward God. Israel was going to spend 70 long years in a foreign land under pagan kings. In an ungodly culture. And they would live there in misery and in sorrow. Regretting that they had ever crossed the Lord. That they would receive such judgment. But they needed to be reminded that sin has its consequences. And even though they were the people of God, and even though they had been separated from other nations of the world to be God's choice nation, they were still held accountable for the truth that God had revealed to them. And when that truth was disobeyed, the judgment of God fell upon them. And Isaiah said, John was going to come and bring comfort to the people of God. Why? Because uh, 700 years later, Israel would find herself in the same boiling pot of sin that Israel found herself before she was sent into exile. The same sin of neglect, the same sin of, of running after falsehood, the same sin of idolatry, the same sin of disobedience. And John was sent to comfort them? No, John was sent to confront them. And by confronting them in their sin, they were, their eyes would be opened to their rebellion against God. And they would repent of that sin. And they would turn to the Christ whom God would send to save them. And that is what would bring their spiritual comfort. John was not there to pat them on the back for being creative in their rebellion against God. John was there to open their eyes up to the truth of their rebellion and the reality of God's judgment. And by professing Jesus Christ as their Lord because they've repented of their sin, that would bring them spiritual comfort. The only way comfort can come to the mind and to the soul and to the spirit of a person is to reveal their sin and call them to repentance and faith in the one who can save them from sin.
Isaiah said that Israel was at war with God. John the baptizer said Israel was at war with God. That's what sin does to the life. It sets a person at odds with God. But that war is over, listen friends, that war is over when sin is recognized and repented of. That war is over when an individual acknowledges Jesus Christ, believes in Him and receives Him into their life as Lord and Savior. That's what Paul the Apostle was saying in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 when he said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be saved is to be justified. And to be justified is to have peace with God. Our world needs peace today. Our world needs peace because our world needs God. And the only ones who can correctly, accurately, and powerfully direct people back to God are His people who have confessed their sins, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, have been saved, and then have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit, called by the Holy Spirit, prepared by the Holy Spirit to go out and tell a lost and dying world that Christ has come, given His life as a sacrifice for sin, risen from the dead to affirm the message of his gospel and is coming again to receive them into his kingdom. Let's stand together in prayer. I'm going to ask David to come and to prepare to lead us in a song of invitation. And I know most of us here have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But there may be one here today who does not know Jesus Christ. You've never acknowledged your sin before the Lord. You've never recognized your rebellious life and your disobedience to the moral commands of God. You may have never confessed Jesus Christ with your lips nor believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And so you're on the outside. You may be religious, and you may like Christianity a lot, and you may like Christian people, but you've never come to Christian faith. I would invite you, my friend, to acknowledge today that Isaiah was speaking about one who would come to point the people to the Christ who would save them. And since that time... God has been using people to open the eyes of the lost and the dying to the need for Jesus. And I pray this morning your eyes have been opened to that need as well. And that you will come confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That today you will believe in your heart that our Lord has died on the cross for you and that God has raised him from the dead. Today you'll be saved. But I'm going to ask my brothers and sisters as well 
that you remember that when the Lord saved you and when you accepted Him as Lord and Savior in your life, He set you apart. And He called you. And He equipped you. And down through the years, He's been preparing you to be a mouthpiece to those in your circles of influence, a testimony, a witness to the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you enjoy recreation with, to the people who live in your neighborhood. He has called you to be a witness to them. Those people may be religious people. Those people may be very good, ethical, moral people. But we're not concerned about a person's religion. And we're not concerned about a person's ethics. We're concerned about a person's soul. And if they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, their soul stands condemned. And until they turn to Jesus Christ and should death overtake them, without turning to Jesus Christ, they'll be forever separated from the kingdom of God in a place called hell. It's not a popular message, but it's a necessary message. And we'll not be accepted open arms by telling people this message. But if we can rescue their soul from hell, it's worth the effort. And I'm going to ask you, either where you're standing or just to come to the altar and say, Lord God, I have not been the witness that you've saved me to be. I have not been the testimony to others that you have called me to be. And today, I want to rededicate my life to share my faith with everyone as your Holy Spirit leads me to do so. And I'm asking you to be real with God today. And don't let this opportunity pass because you think you have something else better to do. David, lead us. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.